are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Uh, Man, I'm so excited to be preaching here today, the, the week of Christmas, thinking about Jesus' birth. But first, I just want to welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Whether this is Sunday morning and you're like ready to go right when we premiere this on Facebook or something like that, or whether this is like uh, after Christmas has already uh, come and gone. uh, Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you uh, coming and checking out our services, worshiping with us, and, and we hope that they're a blessing to you and that they help uh, you and your family connect to God more and and uh, and to learn and to grow and to be challenged. And so thank you for joining us, uh, whether this is your first time or or uh, or you are watch are you watch on a regular basis. And, and if this is your first time, would you go ahead and fill out the connection card? There's a link for that in the description uh, of this video. So please go ahead and do that. We want to be able to connect with you. Um, so anyway, Merry Christmas, man. This is going to, I'm sure a lot of you guys are going to be traveling and a lot going on, um, but hopefully you're able to uh, tune in. So thank you for doing that for those of you who do. Um, oh man, uh, we have just finished up this sermon series on Jonah last week, and this week we're doing a standalone sermon uh, just as thinking about the birth of Jesus. And so... Um, Before we dive in, I'm just going to go ahead and say a word of prayer and kind of prepare my heart, hopefully uh, get you engaged uh, and setting our eyes on Jesus and and not me. So, all right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Thank you so much for the the birth of your son, that you would, you would come down and become a human. Thank you for the, the miracle of the incarnation. I pray that we would uh, always be grateful, and during this time of year, that it would draw us into living like you did in your humility that you, as you come to earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, I don't know about you, um, but at, for me, as I have uh, as I have gone and tried to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with friends or family or, or whoever, strangers on the street, whatever, as I've done this, I've run into this common uh, objection. Uh, and the objection typically, well, typically it goes like this. We'll have really good conversation, really good dialogue. Uh, I'll, I'll get to hear about what they believe. They hear about what I believe. We go back and forth. And, and when it comes to the end of it, there's this sense of like, that was, that's all really interesting. Sounds like a great inter- and interesting worldview. Sounds like it would be helpful for a person. But in the end, I'm just not sure. Like, how can we know that what you believe is what the true God is or who the true God is? How can we even know that? And so there's a sense of skepticism, this sense of agnosticism uh, that, that just says, like, we are material and we experience this material world uh, and... and to say that anything we experience that's not part of this, this material world, it's, almost, it's impossible to really say what that thing is, whatever you're experiencing. So to, to put a name on it, to call it Christianity, to say that Jesus is the only way, man, these are, these are crazy claims. And this mentality is, is really rooted in a lot of the modern and then postmodern 
work that's been done in philosophy originating really in Immanuel Kant. And Immanuel Kant, um, basically, he broke the whole world down into things uh, as we experience them and then things as they are in themselves. There, so there were these kind of two realities. Um, and so we could experience the things uh, as they are. We, he called, or uh, we could experience things uh, in the material world through just the way we experience them through our cognitive faculties. And these things, as we experience them, uh, are not the things in themselves, um, but they are just as we experience them. They have to go through the interpretation of our our senses. They have to go through the interpretation of our reason and our memory. And they they go through all of this, this interpretation. And so we get this interpreted picture of reality. That is what he calls the phenomenal world. And then there is the noumenal world, which is the thing in itself, the thing as it really is. So without interpretation, what it really is. And what what Kant did was he placed God in the noumenal world, the place where things are as they really are. Uh, And he said, look, you can't experience, you can't touch, smell, taste, you can't experience God through any of that. And and because of that, anything, any speech about God, any way you refer to this this creator, to call God the creator even, to give any kind of reference to this being at all, is, is essentially just gibberish. Like the things that you say about it are just, just you trying to come up with an interpretation of some feeling that you felt or whatever, but ultimately you can't reach the, the noumenal world uh, without any kind of phen- uh, phenomenal experience, without any kind of, of actual uh, experience here on this earth. And so, uh, you know, there's this, there's this great separation. Um, and so in, and in the Christian world, we have this word for God being in this like... Uh, being far beyond us, he's, he is transcendent. He is the transcendent one. And so, you know, he's infinite and we are finite. And so the, we're, we're in this place where we should be asking that same question. Where does the infinite and the finite meet, right? Where does the transcendent and the eminent uh, come together? Where, what bridges that gap? How do we as Christians claim that we can have not only knowledge of God, but his will and his way of salvation. Like, how can we claim these kinds of things? And I believe that the miracle we celebrate on Christmas actually uh, answers these questions. The miracle of the incarnation. Jesus is that bridge between the infinite and the finite, between the, the noumenal and phenomenal world. Jesus is that bridge. And, and uh, he offers us a way into that. And so we're going to see that as we read John 1, 1 through 18. Um, and so we're going to kind of work our way through, and we'll see that Jesus does three things through this passage. Uh, he fills creation. He invites creation and he becomes creation he fills creation invites creation and he becomes creation and so we're going to kind of break this apart and dive into it um man i i think this is such an important thing we're not just talking about doing some kind of like apologetic work of like trying to get someone else saved this is really hopefully this will be something that comforts your hearts uh and and gives you that sense of security and knowing that that gap can be crossed and so uh we're going to dive into this first part he feel he fills creation jesus fills creation uh verses one through nine it says this 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and, the, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light, the true light that gives light to everyone uh, was coming into the world. Here we have John diving into this, like, this, this word, this word that's eternal, this word that's been around with God forever in the beginning, since the beginning of time. He's been around forever and has, has uh, also been God itself. It said it was, the word was God, the word was with God, the word was God. The, this reality um, is something John is tapping into. The author of, of this, this text is tapping into uh, something about Jesus before he was ever on this earth, before he was ever born. I don't know if you've ever thought about that reality that before Jesus was born, before he became a little baby, he existed long before that. He was God before that. He existed before that. And all things are being created through him. And, and all this language about this is really interesting. I, I really want to kind of dive into the, the, what it talks about when, when John uses the language of the word. He's not just talking about speech. He's not just saying that, you know, God said, let there be light, and then there was light. So God creating through his word. But even more than that, by using this, this term word, he's tapping into uh, philosophical traditions. He's tapping into so much here. And so I want to dive into that a little bit. The word for word um, is logos, logos. Uh, and logos is, it, it, it it's, it does mean word, uh, but the idea here, philosophers would use this idea for them to bridge the, uh, the, the two worlds of the material world, the immaterial world, um, what Plato called form and matter. The, the ancient philosopher Plato talked about form and matter. There are these, the, the matter, and then there's like the true form of those things, um, and uh, like it's not here on this earth. It's kind of this like immaterial reality, and so he talked about the like kind of a soul would be part of that that form world, and the the body would be kind of the, the material world. Like just try try to give you a, a, an example of that. And what these philosophers did is is similar similar to what Kant was doing and saying there's these separate worlds. They had to find a way to connect the two, and they for them what connected the two was something they called the logos, the logos. And the, the logos, uh, for some of them, for some philosophers, it was a like, like kind of like uh, in-between agent that would, that would kind of connect the two. It was a creative agent. Uh, it was a light-giving agent. It was a life-giving agent. It was, um, it was this thing that existed that somehow connected the two so philosophers believe this kind of thing already. This is, and this already sounds very similar to what John is talking about, but there was one guy in the first century, uh, Philo of Alexandria, who was, who was a Jewish man who was kind of taking this, philo this philosophical term of the Lagos, and he used it to speak of this, like, uh, this, like, uh, the same kind of thing. This, uh, he called it almost like a second, secondary god. Uh, he spoke of the Lagos in, in, in these terms of like uh, the firstborn of creation, which is what we 
called Jesus, what Paul calls Jesus in Colossians. He talks about all these, all these different uh, terms. Philo dives into all this stuff. I'm, I'm saying all this because I, I want you to get that John is, is not just coming up with stuff off, stuff off the top of his head about, about Jesus. He's, he's taking uh, these, 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 this rich term and saying, There's, let, let me use this term, and he's going to apply it to Christ. But he does something with that term that goes beyond what the philosophers, what Philo did uh, before him. He connects it, uh, he connects it to creation. And, and if you as you read uh, John 1, you get this sense that he's talking about creation. He's talking about the word of God. He's talking about light and life. He's, you know, he's talking about all things being created. So, like, there's this reality. He's already talking about, he's, he's like, pointing back to Genesis 1. But he, then to bring in logos and to, to use these terms, all, what he's doing is he's drawing on all these traditions, all these realities about his, who he is, so he can then go ahead and personalize that logos and give it a, a face, give it a name, and now it's no longer an it, it is a he. And this he, we will find out in verse 14, is Jesus. Um, it's speaking of Jesus, but, but using this term that has been used forever to try to connect this immaterial world with the material world, the, the form and the matter. The logos becomes that thing, but that thing now is a personal being. And, and, and so we have this beautiful picture that, that John is able to take and go like, yeah, you've been trying to figure out how to connect those two. You've been trying to figure out how this stuff came into being. Let me give you a clear uh, picture of what that is. And he goes and lays it all out. And, and basically he attributes it all to the pre-incarnate Jesus, the pre-birth Jesus. He's not just ripping off these philosophers. He's not just ripping off uh, Philo. He's, he's using a rich term to, to draw out who this, this child would be and who this man would be as he grows up. John dives into the realities of the Lagos. It's, it's incredible. And he's, he's teaching us um, that, that the Lagos is not just what they say. He, I love how he goes that step further, as I said, he turns it into this personal being, but he goes even further because, as I said, Philo mentioned, Philo says something about the Lagos being a, like, secondary god. Here, he doesn't call him a secondary god. He just says that the word, the Lagos, the word was God. That's it. Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, before he was born, was God. It, he is God. And so what he's doing is he's taking that reality that they were trying to, they were trying to figure out how this whole thing worked. And then, they would, then he's saying, no, it's even more than that. This thing that you've been pointing at, this is God. And in fact, this is not just a this, uh, it's a he. This is a personal being. And as he dives into the, the, the creation narrative, he talks about, uh, he, he uses that term of, uh, uh, he says, in him was the life and that life was the light of men. That light shined in the darkness, the darkness did not overcome it. He's playing on all of this creation narrative stuff and he's taking it and he's saying, look, Jesus, before time, as time began, he was there, breathe, he was there creating and shining light and life into it. But even more than that, there's this crazy and amazing overlap of the fact that this is what Jesus has always done. He has filled uh, his creation with life and with light. He fills his creation 
And, and he feel, as, as, as we talk about life and we talk about light, we're talking about more than physical light. There's this sense of the light of revelation. Throughout the rest of the Gospel of John, he, when he talks about light and darkness, he's dealing with this, this being in the light is someone who's, who's got the revelation of God. They, they're able to see clearly. Being in the darkness means that they, that they are not following God. They cannot see clearly. And so when he talks about being the one who fills the earth with light and life, he's, he's saying, look, I'm going. I, since the beginning of time, Jesus, the Lagos, has been uh, entering into this world and filling this world with re- revelation, with light, with life. And so we can trust that even when we are in our darkest spaces... Even when you are struggling your worst, 2020 has been a rough year for many of us, a dark year for many of us. But, but the darkness that exists in 2020 cannot compare to the light that Jesus brings when he enters our space, our reality. His light penetrates even the deepest, darkest place, and the darkness cannot overcome it. This is such good news for all of us that from the beginning of time, this is what Jesus has been doing. Filling creation. Filling creation with light and with life. This is what Jesus does as he creates, as he, as he in, you know, gives life to all these things. God, God is doing this through Jesus. And so we can trust in Jesus to be the one to, to rescue us from this. But, but we're, we're not even, even there yet. We're not even to this idea of him becoming flesh, really. This idea of light entering, he continues to do that. And he's always, this is what he's always done. This is what he always will do. No matter where you're at, no matter how lost you feel, no matter how distant you feel, no matter how dark your situation may seem, Jesus' light is coming to fill those dark spots if you receive it, if you, if you allow him to come in and, and change your heart and your life. But since the creation of matter, God has been at work revealing himself to his creation through Christ, through that pre-incarnate Jesus, through the Lagos. And here in our passage, we see that the Lagos, uh, which uh, is the one that does this for us, but he's, he's not just filling creation. The Lagos is inviting all of us to be with him. He's inviting creation. The Lagos invites creation. Uh, verses 10 through 13, we're going to look at the invite that he offers. Invites creation. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The Lagos, uh, which was the divine life mentioned above, right, Uh, mentioned earlier, um, was equally missed both by the Jews and by the Gentiles, both by those who, who were God's people and those who were just throughout the world. Like, he, he says that, that those in the, the world didn't recognize him and his own people rejected him. Everybody missed him. Everybody equally missed him. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all missed out on, at, uh, on Jesus. Like, like, and f- for forever, they, they missed 
before Jesus came, they continued to miss him over and over. And when he came, they continued to miss, see, see who he was. They couldn't see him clearly. His own people rejected him. The world rejected him. There was a reality that he, this Lagos who came, the Lagos who was the light-giving, life-giving creator, filling us with life, that Lagos came and even when he came to this earth, he was rejected and not recognized. We've all missed him at one point or another. But the beautiful thing is that whether or not you have missed him, the whole point, the whole point of him coming and becoming a baby as we celebrate on Christmas, the whole point is verse 12. And in, in fact, we, uh, Josh talked about this a few weeks back, this idea of a, a chiasm. It's a, a, a writing structure where it, it gets you to that central point of the whole passage. Verses 1 through 18 are this large chiasm. Verse 1 and verse 18 have matching ideas. The second verse and the second to last verse have matching ideas, and it works its way to the very center, which is verse 12, and it gets you to this point where it says, uh, he gave them the right to be sons of God. This this is the point of the passage. That same light, that, was, that same uh, logos that was giving life and pursuing his creation, filling his creation, uh, that same light that did come into his creation uh, is inviting all of us to be sons of God, enabling us to be children of God. And in this he, he offers us a, 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 an identity change, a sense of like connection to a deeper reality, that the, the, really, the reality that we were all called to be part of, the connection that we were all supposed to have. In the beginning, we were supposed to be unified with this God, and it seems like this, 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 this break in uh, and matter and spirit or whatever you want to call it, the noumenal and phenomenal, this break that happened between God that exists in that realm and us in this realm, that break that happened, Jesus came to heal that and bring it back together. And he does that by making us his children, inviting us in to participate with him, to be with him, to be unified with him. It reminds me a lot of, uh, of a... Man, I'm about to tell you what movie I'm, I'm talking about. It reminds me of a movie, uh, but you're going to make fun of me because it's Princess Diaries 2, okay? So forgive me. Uh, Princess Diaries 2. If you ever saw, uh, I'm not going to say there were great movies. There's definitely some cheesy stuff there, but there's this point in there, and I'm not going to lie. I don't cry very often. I cried because this spiritual reality hit me as I was watching, but... Uh, princess Diaries 1, uh, Mia realizes that she doesn't know this, but she's a princess of Gen the kingdom of Genovia, uh, and uh, she's trying to figure out how to be a princess and how to live that out. By, but Princess Diaries 2, uh, she's there. Uh, we don't have to get into all that. Basically, there's an Independence Day parade in Genovia, and royalty are all coming down uh, on their on their carriages and, and all this stuff and and there's bands playing and there's this this great crowd gathered on both sides you know there's there's the royalty the people who are very important going down the center of all this and then there's the commoners the common folk and in the back of the crowd there's a little girl who's being picked on by these these boys they're just being mean and uh, she's a little girl who's a part of an orphanage and her and her, all her friends are are kind of in the back of the crowd and uh, as uh, Princess Mia, uh, she sees uh, these, this girl being picked on. She stops the entire parade, right? Like, 
all of the royal crowd is like moving forward and everything in it just stops. And she gets off of the carriage, goes down and, and talks with the little girl. And what she says, what she says to the little girl, uh, you know, she, is, uh, she tells her that today um, she declares that all of them are princesses. She gives them all uh, these little tiaras and tells them they can come and join her in the parade. And she invites them out of the crowd and into the center of the parade to join her as royalty. And she tells them that there's this like this statement that she makes. She says, like, the number one rule about being a princess is you have to believe you're a princess. And when I watched this, it hit me because there is this reality that so many of us who call ourselves believers, who call ourselves sons and daughters of God, sons and daughters of the king, forget the reality of who we are and who we're called to be, not because of what we've done, but because he has come and exited that parade of the divine parade. You know, like he's exited, his, gotten off his royal throne and entered into the common crowd and come to the back and grabbed me and picked me up and said, Sean, you're a prince because you're my child now. Come with me. And there's this reality that God changes our identity and that this is the whole purpose of why he does this coming in a manger thing, this whole incarnation thing, why the eternal Logos would leave heaven and and come to earth. The whole purpose of this is to make you and me his children. It changes everything for us. We have this huge identity shift. Man, when when I think about that reality... God has come and changed me, utterly changed me. It, it wrecks me. It, it moves me so much. That's why, like, I, 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 as cheesy as that movie was, like, it still brought me to tears in that moment. Because I realize how often I forget whose I am. I, I realize that I forget how often, how often I forget that he's invited me uh, to be a part of this union of heaven and earth. He's invited me to participate and be one with him as we unify with him, that, that we begin to be unified with, with that, that spiritual realm. There's this, there's this connection that happens where we are given divine life to share in. But how... How do we get from Jesus filling creation to this invisible uh, invite or uh, this, this invisible world coming to us and inviting us in? The invite to all of creation. How do we get from there to there to, ha- to actually, actually being a part of this? It only happens by Jesus becoming creation, by the Lagos becoming creation. Now, uh, to be clear, I, I want to I make it extra, extra clear. I'm not saying Jesus is a created being. I'm not saying that the Lagos is a created being. He has existed eternally. He is God. He's with God and he is God. And yet he enters creation in such a way that he, it says that he becomes flesh. We'll read that in just a second. So when I say he becomes creation, I don't mean that, that he is a created being. I want to be very clear. He's an eternal, he is the eternal God, but he becomes creation for us. Uh, verse 14, so we're going to dive into this, becomes creation. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. The Lagos we spoke about has become flesh. The Lagos has become flesh. And this, this is the reality that, that, that John is taking uh, the whole idea of the Logos uh, leaps and bounds further, leaps and bounds further. There's this, this sense that not only are, are we saying that the Logos, the word of God, Jesus, uh, was, uh, was this life-giving, light-giving creator, but he's and he's not only that, but he's also God, but he's not only God and this personal being, but he's also one who became flesh. The Logos became flesh. Jesus does something we couldn't have ever imagined. That transcendent realm has entered our eminent space. And he makes it it all so much clearer. We had never seen God. No one had ever seen God before. And now all of a sudden, God comes and becomes flesh and gives us the clearest picture of who he is, of what his heart is when he comes and he dwells on this earth. I've, I've, uh, I was, I've been thinking about this reality that we are about to have a, a Christmas uh, in the middle of COVID. And there are going to be a lot of you uh, who may not feel comfortable to be with your family or friends that you would normally be with, to be into larger groups and all that stuff. And so there may be people who are watching who, who right now you're, you're like, man, I'm going to be watching, I'm going to be doing Christmas with my family uh, through some of my family members through uh, Zoom or FaceTime or whatever. Like you're going to be doing a video chat with someone. And, uh, and maybe some of you did that for Thanksgiving. Um, I've done it. Our, our family did it with uh, with. with my extended family, uh, a few years back, actually, we did a Zoom Thanksgiving. And so um, I know how that is. Um, and, and the reason we do this whole thing, this, this Zoom thing, uh, it, it, we set up these video calls, is, is because it gives you a chance to see expressions and to respond back and forth and to feel like you're, you're as there as you can be, right? It's better, than, uh, it's better than a call. It's better than a text. It's better uh, than, than a, you know, an email or whatever. It's better than all of these things. So it's it's, it's Leaps and bounds better than all of that. And yet it's not the same as sitting down and just having a meal with someone. And I, I think about how before Jesus came, the Jewish people had a temple that they could go to. It had the presence of God in it, but no one ever saw it. Only the high priest could go and, you know, into it once a year. He could go into the most holy and sacred place where God's presence was most tangible. He could go in there once a year. And that was like the most any Israelite could ever experience the presence of God. Right? There was this, this, uh, this 
you, you could be on, on the outer edges of the temple. You could, just being in Jerusalem, you're closer to his presence. So it, it's almost as if like that, that connectedness to that presence is, is, is close as you're going to get, right? And, and if you're in the holiest place, right there in that room, uh, that's the best it's going to get. But at the same time, that's, that's, that's not the same as having him right there with you. And in the incarnation, when Jesus becomes flesh, when the Lagos becomes flesh, Jesus can sit down and have a meal with his disciples. The God of creation can have a meal with his disciples. In the incarnation, we get something so much better than just a temple. And in fact, this, is the, this, this terminology of temple and his presence, all this stuff, is, is tied up here. It, when he says that uh, he, he, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that word dwelt is, is a word that basically just means he tabernacled, he templed with us. He brought God's presence as he, at where he went. He came and dwelt among us. In the same way that God's presence dwelled in the temple, in the tabernacle, it now dwells in Jesus, and Jesus is coming and having a meal with us. That, that is the beauty of the incarnation. That is what's happening. The transcendent Lagos uh, becomes intimately knowable through this special day that we celebrate. Through the incarnation. And what's really cool is we see that infinite gap that I've been talking about, that transcendence that happened, you know, that we can't reach God and all that. John confirms this, this infinite gap has been crossed. When he says that, that uh, Jesus existed before him, he says, in, uh, he said, the one coming after me, speaking of the Lagos, Jesus, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. John was born first, then Jesus, and yet somehow Jesus existed before John. John recognizes that there's something divine about this, this, this uh, one coming. Jesus existed before John, and John is proclaiming that, even though John was born first. What's really incredible is that, that John is born to a family that, that is in the priesthood. His father, in the very beginning of the story, is like in the, in the temple, serving in the temple. And yet Jesus' mother is, is, uh, is the one who... Uh, it suppose it looks like she's had a baby outside of wedlock. Her her uh, husband uh, is is not like a priest or something. He's not serving in the temple, and yet somehow this one, this child who came second, who's not the child of a, of a priest, it is is above and beyond. This other child, John recognizes the authority. John recognizes the timelessness of Jesus. He recognizes something greater than himself. And when Jesus crosses that gap, he unites himself. When he becomes creation, he unites himself with creation so that he can transform it and so that he can transform us. 
the infinite gap is crossed. He crosses it and he begins to transform it and invite it back into uh, this, this unified state. That is the whole purpose. And this is how we receive the right to become children of God. We received grace upon grace from his fullness. And, and even though, you know, Moses came with the law, he, Jesus comes with grace and truth. He fulfills the law. Jesus becomes the fulfiller of the law. And he makes it possible for us to come with him. Grace upon grace, grace and truth. He invites us into that full relationship. The need to fulfill that whole law, he, he does it for us and he invites us to be participants in his life-giving presence and invites us into that unity as I was talking about. And just as, as all things were created uh, through Christ, as mentioned in verse 3, there's this really interesting statement in verse 17 um, which says uh, that, that uh, grace and truth came through uh, through him that word came and the word created they're the same greek word and and ultimately the point here is that 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 uh that if god can create the material universe through the logos he can redeem it through the logos as well if god can create the material universe through the logos he can redeem it through the logos as well that's what's being stated here. There's this connection here. As I'm, there's kind of this chiasm going on, right? We talked about the different... Out, like here we have something happening through Jesus. Grace and truth and creation. All of it happens through Jesus. And we can trust that Christ, he crossed this infinite gap uh, that was necessary to connect humanity and divinity. And, and he makes it possible for the transcendent and the imminent to come together. Uh, he, he invites us to become his children I mean, we would have died if we entered into his presence, and now we can enter boldly into his presence because Christ is transforming you and me into children of God. So while your friends who, who don't think uh, we can speak about God uh, rightly, um, they're, they're, while they're right about one thing, uh, and that thing is that we couldn't get to God on our own terms. We couldn't think God up. We couldn't speak of God Without him first coming to us, it, a finite creature cannot cross an infinite gap, but an infinite God can cross that infinite gap and enter into our space and invite us in. That's what makes, that what, that's what makes Christianity so special. There's no other religion where the God crosses that infinite gap by becoming creation and transforming it so that we can join him in heaven and be united heaven and earth can be united like in the incarnation christmas the thing we celebrate on christmas is is man I, I, it's incredible it, it it's so incredible and without the incarnation you don't have the cross without the incarnation you don't have the resurrection without the incarnation you don't have uh the the final day where heaven and earth are united he does this for us crosses that infinite gap and even Kant who tried to say there you can't reach noonal and phenomenal he can't get rid of this idea that, that if God did come and enter into our space and become creation we are he becomes tangible to us then and we can experience God in Christ 
man, in this act of humility, this leaving his place of power and comfort uh, to enter humanity is the same uh, is the same mindset that it would lead to Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And so this week, I'm going to close with this. Uh, this week, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, I have just one application for you. Live incarnationally. Live incarnationally. What do I mean by that? Imitate Jesus, who leaves his place of power to come and care for us. I want us to close with this passage in Philippians 2. that says this, Philippians 2 verse 5, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we lower ourselves, we are lifted up. This is what Christ did. This is the example he sets in the incarnation. He sets the example of lowering oneself. Seek out spaces where you can leave your place of power, where you can leave your place of privilege to lift others up. That's what I mean by live incarnationally. Go to those who are not like you. Become friends with them. Become friends with people of other faiths. Become friends with people who who are different from you. And and learn their culture and understand them and enter into be part of their lives. Lower your... And I hate saying lower yourself because you're not really lowering yourself. The reality is all humans are equal, but that sense of, of putting aside your pride and thinking, that, of thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. Lay it down and go and serve and live with others. And then in doing that, reveal to them the very nature of God that he's given to you through, through becoming a child of God. Reveal to them who God is and what he's like. Help them to see what it would be like if Jesus sat down for a meal with them. I'm going to close out with a word of prayer, and uh, and then we'll come back, uh, go to the worship, and we'll come back for the benediction. God, thank you for crossing the infinite gap and entering our space and inviting us in and uniting heaven and earth. I can't wait till that day when heaven and earth will be fully united and all things will be made right. And until that day, I pray that we would live as people, uh, as children of God, that we would remember, that we would be convinced of that reality, that we no longer uh, hold on to our identity of this, the identities of this world, that we don't no longer allow our sins or our past failures or whatever to define us, but we look at what you say about us and we live that out so that the people around us will know who you are. We'll be able to know you. We thank you, God. Thank you for the the miracle of Christmas. Thank you for your son coming and being born. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.